Welcome back to In Retrospect. This is our 10th episode, Swim Sideways, an interview with Scott Wilhite. Scott is a champion for positive psychology, not because he read about it in a library book, but because it has affected him so profoundly personally. Although he is a decorated writer in the media industry, he found the key to happiness in an unusual situation while on a trip in Cambodia. Today he'll share some of these ideas with us as we look at his life in retrospect. All three of us were going to die, and I was so convinced of it. Nobody wants to go back to middle school. Why are you going back there? <laughs> so this is another pivotal moment in my life, uh, that it all works out in the end, and if it hasn't worked out yet, it's not the end. Uh, but I got distracted, and, uh, and then I heard a scream. Like, you can't ask that in an interview, but I had to call a mover. And I said, um, will you come move us? And they said, sure, where are you going? And I said, I don't know. Welcome back to In Retrospect. I'm not in the Yorkshire studios today. I'm in the what studio? The Heber Valley studio. The Heber Valley studio with Scott Wilhite. So thanks for letting me come to your house, Scott. Hey, thanks for coming on over. So Scott Wilhite, let's get a little introduction, was born in San Jose, San Jose, California. His parents are John and Nancy. He was the second um, out of six children. Scott grew up in Holiday, Utah, he says, because that's where he learned to ride a bike. Uh, but he's mostly grew up in Sandy after that. Uh, Scott graduated from high school in 1989. He served an LDS mission to England, Manchester area. I don't have your year here that you were married. So, oh, so long ago. 1994. 1994, he married Becca Anderson. Becca Anderson, Anderson. And they've been married for 23 years. Scott and Becca have four children, three girls and one boy. Scott has worked as a commercial filmmaker, and he is now a best-selling author, an award-winning writer, producer, and director. And he has a uh, an app that he's created, Feed Your Happy, and a new book, The Seven Core Skills of Everyday Happiness. Scott has a website called Encourage.life, or you can search for him, Scott Wilhite, and that'll pull that website up. Okay, so that's just a short biography. Scott, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for letting me join you. Actually. Hey, glad to be with you, Kendall. So uh, I wanted to start, uh, first of all, uh, with your book. And the I don't remember if it was in the introduction, the preface, or the first chapter. You told the story of going to, was it Vietnam or Cambodia? It was Cambodia. Cambodia. I thought this was so interesting, the, the story that you told. Is it all right if we start with that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, to tell, I, that, that was a story that changed my life so much, so I'm happy to share that. Tell me about what took... I'm sorry, say again, where was it? It was Cambodia. What took you there, and what was the experience that was life-changing for you? Okay, well, I'm a filmmaker, and I had an assignment to create a series of humanitarian films that would help raise money for poor, impoverished, sad people. So they sent me to Cambodia and Mongolia on this first trip. And uh, what was interesting is, you know, so is so much work to just get there and get all the gear and get the crew and, and everything that when we landed, you know, I finally had a chance to really think, okay, I'm here to film these poor, impoverished, sad people. And as I we as we drove around in this rickety small minivan just packed in, you know, between boxes of camera gear and the crew, uh, you know, I realized I had a really big problem. Because as I looked out the window, I saw a lot of poor, impoverished people, but I didn't see a lot of sad people. In fact, you know, like we'd be driving along and uh, kind of an interesting thing to have the camera, um, the way that it worked is we we had to have it so that it was acclimated for outside. So we couldn't have the air conditioning on. We had to have the windows mm. open. And so, you know, we're just like experiencing the humidity and all this stuff. Yeah, and I'm just, yeah. I'm complaining. I'm cranky. I'm yeah. tired. And I look out the window and I see like this family of five on the same motorcycle. And they're just jammed in there. And I'm staring at them, watching them. And they look over at me. And as our eyes connect, their faces just light up huh. with the purest joy that I've ever seen. Huh. 
And I was so embarrassed. I looked back and I kind of smiled my fake American smile, you know, pretending <laughs> uh-huh. that life was really as good for me as it appeared on the outside. Huh. But inside I knew I was missing something. Huh. And they had something that I didn't. And so here I am coming to help them. And I realized, oh, I so want what they have. Just Interesting. Just pure happiness and joy. Huh. And so where did that lead you? Well, it led me to... Um, to wanting to figure out how how to get that happiness, how to get that joy, and it actually led me to about about eight years, ten years of just pure frustration. Huh. <laughs> you know, because I thought that it was if I worked harder at this, you know, if I got better at my craft, if I made more films or got more awards for them or made more money or something, it, it was just always felt like it was outside of my reach. And I could never get that happiness. Hmm. And I just felt so empty and discontent inside. And so the harder I worked, the more frustrated I became. Um, But I was just passionately searching for that happiness and that joy. And and really, when it came down to it, my purpose in life. You know, what was it that I was here for? Sure. At that time, you you were married. You had kids. Uh Uh-huh. Plenty of happy moments, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, that was kind of the embarrassing thing is... I had everything that I, you know, that you need to be happy, but I was so focused on these things that were outside of my reach that I wasn't enjoying what I huh. had. I mean, my life uh-huh. was ideal. Uh-huh. And if you looked at it from the outside, you'd say, wow, I mean, his sure. life is enviable. He's traveling the world. He's, he's living his creative dream. He has a family, you know, that loves each other. The kids don't fight. I mean, it was just all this amazing sure. stuff. But because I was so focused huh. on this stuff that I didn't have, uh, it, it I was ruining my life. I was self-sabotaging, and I didn't know it. Huh, interesting. And did you find this experience replicated in other areas of the world where you'd visited? Or was it why specifically Cambodia jumped out at you? Well, that was my first international trip. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, but okay. I found that in Mexico. I found that in uh-huh. Ecuador, you know, where people were in very humble circumstances. They were quite happy. Huh. Um, and yet when I have been... Uh, you know, touring around the States, I find that people who have a lot are actually quite dissatisfied with their life. Mm-hmm. We complain all the time. You know, mm-hmm. we're always sure. moaning about something. And uh, and we don't realize what we have. We, we don't take time to wake up. We don't take time to reflect. And, uh, Interesting. and we actually just kind of ruin what we, what we've been given all the blessings we have interesting that you said on now on your website uh, for your bio you reported that you are a quote recovering grumpaholic oh yeah <laughs> so how, tell me more about that i mean you <laughs> well know. you know me kendall i mean you've known me for years this is not news to you so yeah let's uh, <laughs> d- disclaimer i guess i i didn't introduce scott as my brother-in-law so okay, okay carry on <laughs> okay. you know but, that i'm a i'm a grumpaholic I don't know if I'd call you grumpaholic. You're not jumping around singing like, you know. No, but, I, you know, anyway, I, I find myself that I can get quite moody. Um, and, and I have some natural tendencies to be discouraged and uh, natural tendencies to pull away from people. And, to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm, you know, shy by nature. Mm-hmm. And so I would often pull myself away. And on the outside, that often looks that, like, you know, I'm being grumpy and everything. And on sure. the inside, I, I was quite grumpy sure. for many years, you know. Interesting. So tell me a little bit, how did your um, uh, John and Nancy, I've not, I've not met your parents. What, what was kind of their impact in your life growing up? What, what, was, what did you learn from them growing up? You know, I, in the work that I do now, um, I, I do a lot of things to help other people to understand their stories and to understand their limiting beliefs and all sorts of things. And so, you know, as you ask, what do they give me? I mean, that's like a whole bag of, right. you know, positive and negative. I mean, it sure, depends on sure. the meaning that you put behind it. So what what, what was kind of um, what, what part of the podcast is looking at what may what makes you you? Yeah. And um, your, kind of your life lessons. So, um and and indeed, like you say, we could spend probably several podcasts just examining each person's childhood, you know, yeah. kind of the things that that we learn. Well, let me tell you a story that, that yeah. may, you know, kind of wrap, wrap sure. this pretty, pretty so, well. I, I did have a great yeah. childhood. Um, but there was an experience that happened when I was eight years old that 
defined my life. It, it, it started me off on what I'm doing and started me off on a bunch of different directions that, uh, positive or negative, were what made me me. So here it is, 1978, I am sitting on our green couch and uh, up on, in the living room watching TV, and the most amazing film, uh, I'm sorry, commercial comes on. Hmm. And, uh, and it's this story of this little boy, and he's about my age, and he's going in and he's talking to his dad in his dad's home office, and he's like, Dad, are we still going camping? And the dad is like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot. And he's punching away at his 10 key there. Uh, you know, working away, and sure. he says, "I'm sorry, I'm I'm just so busy." And the the boy leans on him. You know, his dad sitting on in his chair. Boy leans on his shoulder, and it's just this nice tender scene. He says, "That's okay, Dad. I understand, but do you mind coming out and and looking and seeing what I've done in the camper?" Ah. And the dad's still punching away. Uh, yeah, sure, I'll go check it out. Uh-huh. So the next shot, you see him, you know, the dad in the back of the camper, and he's looking around. He's like, wow, you've done a fantastic job in here, son. And the boy smiles and says, thanks, dad. Slam. And he slams <laughs> the door. And the next shot, you see they're driving away. He's kidnapped his dad. And I, here I am on the green couch, just so excited, thinking I could do this. I'm just like that boy. My dad's working all the time. I want to get away with him. I'm going to do it. So I ran downstairs. Well, my dad was a solopreneur architect. He worked in the basement. A solopreneur sure. means that yeah, you know, yeah, worked. All, yeah, he was solo. him. You yeah, know, he was he was the architectural firm. Sure, and uh, he was just working all the time. Well, I go downstairs and I peek in at him, and it was really easy to peek in at him because he'd never finished the basement. He'd never put in doorknobs, no walls, and so yeah, the <laughs> walls were like I mean here, here and there, you know, studded walls with a little bit of drywall, but for sure. the most part, unfinished basement. I'm standing on concrete. You know, and I'm hunched over looking through this huge doorknob hole at my dad, just giggling to myself, excited about this capture, this kidnap that experience that I'm going to do where we're going to go fishing. You're going to go camping and fishing. and Yeah. yeah. And I am so excited until I realize that my life is not like that commercial. And I look through and I see my dad and he's got his head in his hands and he's leaning over his drafting table and he looks tired and he looks worn out, and he looks discouraged. And I kind of stood up and thought a minute, and I looked back down in there and looked at him, and he just, boy, he looked beat. And then this thought came through my head. And the thought said, Scott, you are so selfish that you would jeopardize your entire family's safety for this trip with your dad. Hmm. And I just had this huge wave of guilt and shame um, wash over me. I felt horrible. I mean, I was this wretched person huh. who was so selfish. So, you know, I didn't know what to do with myself. I felt icky. Huh. And I walked upstairs and the TV was still on huh. and I remembered the commercial. Uh-huh. And so then I had the world's second best idea. Next to kidnapping uh-huh. my dad uh-huh. was this idea that I was going to grow up and I was going to make commercials just like that one. And I was going to redeem myself. I was going to earn my worth in the world. And I was going to get rid of this guilt and this shame and earn my worthiness by making films that made a difference, films that mattered huh. to people, films that would change people's lives and help families and help little boys like me. And and huh. so when I was eight years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Interesting. But it wasn't until I was about 46 years old that I realized I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Huh. I, I, you what know, is, my life was founded yeah. on this bad math. And again, this is not sure. something that my dad intentionally did. It was this experience that I had where I created this story for myself that I wasn't worthy, that uh-huh. I was shameful and, and selfish. And, and I created this math that said if I worked hard and made good films and helped other people, then I could earn my way out of guilt and shame. And that's that math just doesn't add up. Interesting. Well, I mean, I'm doubting that you have been miserable in all your projects, right? No, but but what I found was I yeah. kept doing these things with the idea that if I do these things sure. and make a difference in people's lives, I will feel better uh-huh. about myself. And and the harder yeah. I worked, the more awards I won, the better the films were, but I did not huh. 
feel better about myself mm-hmm. because, again, I was working with this math that just yeah. it never adds up. And so the harder, the more, you know, the more I threw myself into it, the more frustrated I became because I could never find that inner satisfaction. Huh. And it was, it was really destroying my life. Did you have any idea how you would have known if you were making a difference in people's lives? Uh, no. And, and that was kind of one of the things was that I thought, you know what, maybe I have so much guilt and shame that I can't just help hundreds of people or just thousands because I have helped that. But maybe I need to help millions. And uh-huh. I had all these obstacles that were preventing me from, you know, the distribution that I needed to be able to affect millions of people. And so, uh-huh. like, I always had reasons for why I was frustrated and, uh-huh. and angry. And, uh, and, but but really it was down to huh. that that bad math and it wasn't until i had a basically a life coach listen to me listen to my story and go oh scott you need to you need to think about and uh and discover what selfishness means to you and huh. as as i was doing that i remembered that pivotal story because and i and i remembered it so clearly because that's what started me off on this journey and what i'd be in my life. So let's come back to the life coach experience in a little bit, because that's, that's interesting how that sounds like that person was able to help you kind of get to the foundation of why you were doing what you were doing. Yeah. And so simple. It's just somebody that, interesting, you know, has an outside perspective and that uh, sure. is willing to listen. Huh. Any other, I mean, that that's pretty a uh, memorable experience at eight years old to know what you want to do. Uh, but to have this drive like that, did you, do what I did. Um, did you get a hold of a VHS recorder and make little home movies and stuff like that? Or when did you start getting into film, like actually doing little projects? Yeah. Uh, well, I did some creative stuff when I was when I was a teenager and things. But for the most part, I felt like my gift was in the writing. And so I started out as an advertising copywriter. And I did internet. I did uh, radio and got into TV and then in doing all of those things, you know, I learned more things and, and eventually became a producer and a director and, and okay. still had the writing skills. So that's kind of how I got into it, the backwards way. Okay. Uh, you said that some life lessons from observing your parents. Okay. Obviously a profound one that it sounds like they didn't really know they were a part of at that time. Yeah. And I think that happens to all of us. Yeah. You put, uh, you said put, pa- put family first. Yeah. How was that taught to you? Well, that was really taught by example. Uh-huh. I mean, my parents were wonderful. Um, my dad was always struggling with his business. Uh, he was always working so hard, and he didn't know if he'd get paid from his clients. And, you know, sometimes it would take months and months and months uh-huh. for them to pay, and it wasn't a consistent kind of thing. And But one of the things that they would always do, even if we didn't have enough money to get by, is they always took care of the kids, uh-huh. you know, Family was always first. Family was most important. That was never questioned in our home. And I'm just so grateful for that because that taught me what kind of father I wanted to be Uh when I grew up. Sure. Okay. Okay. You have lived in, uh, goodness, California, Utah, Indiana, Oklahoma, Massachusetts, and England. We already alluded to. Uh, I don't remember why you lived in... Indiana, Oklahoma, or Massachusetts. Let's start with start start with Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, just I'll do the Massachusetts one first. That was when I was in college. I uh, for a summer I stayed with a roommate and uh, worked uh, doing a free internship in Boston, which was fun. But doing what? Internship doing what? Uh, It was at an ad agency, and I was just kind of their gopher guy. They had me Uh do a a few creative projects, but Uh mostly uh, I don't think they liked me. Uh (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, it it ended up being kind of a bust. Yeah, so what happened was, you know, I'm I'm working in the advertising world. Again, I have this dream of these commercials that I want to do, and uh, and I'm working in a high-tech firm, and they – actually, that's an interesting – so I don't know if – okay. Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. So this is another pivotal moment in my life. Where, where was this? <laughs> this is when I was living in Salt Lake City. Okay, sure. And uh, and I was working this job. It was a it was a fantastic agency as far as the 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 the, the large clients they had. They had Intel and iOmega when they were big. They had mm. Netscape when Netscape had eighty six percent of the browser 
whatever. Yeah, and you know, now who knows who knows Netscape now? <laughs> yeah, it was like huge. You know, huh. this is amazing high tech firm, but they chewed through their people. I mean, you huh. you know, I would go to work and I, and then I'd. My wife would call me at 6, 6.30 and say, are you coming home tonight? And I would say, I don't know, because we hadn't uh, heard back from our clients. And if we got negative stuff back from them, we'd have to work through the night to come up with new concepts. Anyway, yeah. you know, I never had control of my schedule, schedule. And yeah. I felt like I was not being able to put my family first like I wanted to. And I right. was really frustrated. Right. So I remember I had, had, I, I had taught a, a Sunday school lesson uh, just a few days before about faith. And I was so frustrated with my job, and I really wanted to have the courage to go out and really find a a job that I loved. And so I remember I was driving in this red open-top Jeep CJ7, uh-huh. and uh, and I'm driving through on the freeway, and I just had the most fervent prayer I've ever given in uh, my life. You know, uh, my eyes are open. I'm driving. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I'm like, please just help me to have the courage to go out and get another job. And as I got into work and I turned on, fired up my computer, I opened up my email and there was a mass email to everyone in the agency saying layoffs were coming. And I laughed because I knew I was going to get let go and I knew that was my answer to prayer. Interesting. (laughs) Not the answer I wanted. Right. But it was the answer that actually got me into TV and, uh, and allowed me to have new experiences in my talents. Okay, so that was you were in, in in Salt Lake. So I was in Salt Lake, and then you know six weeks later, uh, Headhunter uh, got me a job in Indianapolis. Uh, okay, they, they interviewed me, and I worked there and got to do stuff for the Hoosier Lottery. And kind of one of the interesting things that happened is is and I, and I was nervous about doing Hoosier Lottery because that's gambling, and it's not in my core belief system, you uh-huh, know. And, uh-huh. I mean, I kind of feel like that's a tax on the poor. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but, you know, and I wasn't sure, but I felt like I was called there. And uh-huh. the week that, that I started, the agency got a new campaign, a new client, and it was for the Indiana Department of Public Health, and they were doing a campaign on teen abstinence. Oh, and how interesting. Yeah. That what fit was right really interesting your, is they wanted yeah. to use state money and federal money. And in, order, and in order to use both of those together, they had to say this message. And it was save sex until marriage. And that was exactly what I believe in. And so I got to, to do some amazing huh. uh, commercials, won a bunch of awards, and, and huh. really made a big difference in huh. the lives of young people there. So, Can any of these things be found on the Internet now, these, these, these things that you did then, well, if I was curious? I have a hidden portfolio where okay, I have okay. some of those listed, but you know okay. that was kind of early stages of the internet. You're piquing my interest to see some of these things that you've done. Okay, and so how long were you in Indi- Indianapolis? Uh, we were there a year and a half, two years, okay. something like that. We thought of moving there uh, after residency. It looked like a really cool city to live in. Oh, it's an amazing place, yeah. and it's so family friendly. One of the things that I loved that was that as I was interviewing with people in the agency, um, like immediately they'd say, oh, uh, you know, and they, and they would ask if I already had a church to go to. Sure. Yeah. And they were just so open about it. I'm like, you can't ask that in an interview. But, <laughs> but they were so friendly yeah. and inviting. And I, I so appreciate it. Kind of like when we lived in Des Moines in Iowa. I mean, just very, yeah, very family friendly feeling. Very open. Um, what took you to uh, Oklahoma? I don't remember. Well, uh, the agency lost the lottery account, and that was their big bread and butter. Uh-huh. And so things got really quiet there. And uh, you know, I started. You know, I started to get nervous, thinking they're going to let me go. I'd already been let go from two jobs before, and so I started looking around, and and eventually. Um, Anyway, that's yeah. a long story too. Yeah. But, huh? but uh, it was another spiritual journey where I felt impressed to actually give them my notice because huh. I thought I had this other job lined up. I gave them my notice. We put our house on the market for sale, and that that uh, new job fell through. Mm. And so it came hmm. down to it. I had this date circled on the calendar hmm. uh, to when we were going to close on the house because it sold, hmm. and we got uh, we got you know within a week. And uh, and I had to call a mover, and I said, um, "Will you come move us?" And they said, "Sure. Where are you going?" Where are you and going? I, said, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it turned out to be an amazing again answer to prayer huh. uh, that then took us to Oklahoma City huh. and 
had it not been at the very last possible moment, I never would have taken the job. Interesting. It was another place that I felt like we needed to be. So I think this is a good time to do our game show, which you probably don't know about. It's called Two Minutes of Glory. You know what time it is. It's Two Minutes of Glory, where our guest gets to show their knowledge of the subjects they love best. This is the coveted In Retrospect mug. Ah. Despite the message from Sinai, this is coveted. <laughs> and uh, this this is the reward for anyone who gets 10 questions right in two minutes. Oh. Okay. Your quiz, so on your uh, bio form, you said one of your hero, heroes was Ron Howard. Ron Howard, yeah. This is a Ron Howard quiz. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't know how well I'll do, but well, uh, we'll see. If you get ten right within two minutes, you earn this mug. Okay. It's yours. I'm going for it. And uh, your questions have to do with movies that Ron Howard has directed, produced, written, or that he has been in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You think you're ready? <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> say that, but uh, you've been more than fair. Okay. So I'm going to start the timer, and your quiz begins right. Now, Howard first came to prominence playing young Opie Taylor in this sitcom. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> the Andy Griffith show. Andy Griffith. And you can say pass, and we'll, we can pass oh. and come back. Yeah, I love the whistling. Okay. That's where I learned to whistle, actually. Okay, Ron's character in this sitcom, Happy Days. Uh, Richie Cunningham. Correct. This was a 1973 American coming-of-age comedy film. American Graffiti? American Graffiti, correct. And you can cut me off also if you know the answer before I finish. Uh, this film earned in two, uh, made in 2001 earned him an Academy, Academy Award for Best Director, an Academy Award for Best Picture. It was about the life of John Nash, a Nobel, oh, yeah, Nobel Laureate. Mind. A Beautiful Mind, correct. This film, uh, this space film is about... Yeah, Apollo 13. Apollo 13, correct. This 1985 American science fiction family, uh, uh, comedy sorry, was uh, that he directed was about a group of elderly people oh, yeah, rejuvenated a... by aliens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, yeah, it's the pool one. Uh-huh. We can come back to it if you want. Okay, we'll come back to come it. Back. Where was he born? What state? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. Uh, with a cute lisp, Ron anticipated the arrival of the Wells Fargo wagon in which musical movie? Oh, I don't know that one. Pat. Something special just for me. <laughs> okay. Um, in 1995, um, oh, I'm sorry. This space film is about an intergalactic smuggler turned rebel alliance fighter to be released May of this year. Oh, yeah, Solo. He's the director on that. That's correct. Cool. He directed this film, which was based on the 2003 mystery thriller novel by Dan Brown. Oh, yeah. Um well, Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code, that's correct. Okay. This nonfiction book written by Nathaniel Philbrick was adapted to the silver screen. It's the story that inspired the novel Moby Dick. Mm, I don't know that one. Okay, one more. Uh, 1992 American film directed about Irish in- immigrants seeking their fortune in America. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, and it featured, it starred... Uh, a. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see how many you got right. It was far and away. Far and away. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So you got the Andy Griffith. That's one. Yeah. Two, what's the one with the pool with the eggs in it and cocoon? Cocoon. I was thinking contact, and I'm like, that's yeah. not right. So you got one, two, three, four, five. Um, you know the film six, that you seven. didn't mention in there at all that he did that uh-huh. is just one of my favorites is Cinderella Man. What yep, I love about Ron Howard is he creates dramas that have families in it. So often, huh. you know, it's about this swashbuckling guy who doesn't care about anybody but himself, and uh, and he's a single guy and he's like forty five or fifty, you know, like. Yeah you know, womanizing these, you know, 20-something actresses. Yeah. But what Ron does is he creates family situations with uh, with beautiful tension. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, uh, Cinderella Man is one of the finest ones. I have not seen have. that, and especially Cocoon. I mean, that's really family-oriented. Tears at your heart. Yeah. When Grandpa's leaving, yeah. that scene. Yeah, he, he, just, he does a great job building honest emotion, and that's what I enjoy about his films. 
Uh, you got eight right. Yeah, cool. Eight. Hey, that's, eight. that's like, that's seven more than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> he was born in Oklahoma. Okay. Born in Oklahoma. And uh, I think, oh, uh, the music man. Uh-huh. He was the little boy in the music man. Was uh, he? Okay. Yeah. Well, darn it. You did well, but well, I... I'll have to play again sometime. <laughs> All right. Well, middle school. You said, uh, let's go to that for just a moment. You said you were uh, trying to fit in in middle school. Nobody wants to go back to middle school. Why are you going back there? I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So let's say middle school, high school, you know, late teens. Uh, if you had a, any time machine advice uh, to yourself, what, what, what would it be? You know, uh, so much I think would be about self compassion. Now that I understand how the game is played. Now I understand more about myself and about others. I would have taught the old me, if I could go back, I would have taught the old me about self-compassion. You know, everything's going to work out. Uh, I love the quote that uh, that it all works out in the end, and if it hasn't worked out yet, it's not the end. Huh. Interesting. Needed. Okay, self-compassion. Uh, you ran a marathon? I did. During high school? Yeah, that was a really dumb thing. Okay. <laughs> well, what was dumb was that, you know, I thought I was a teenager. You know what teenagers are like. Anyway, I thought that if I ran uh, in training, I thought if I ran three miles really fast, it was kind of like running six. And so I didn't really train for it. Okay. And finally, you know, we got a couple of weeks away from the marathon. And my dad said, you know, you really haven't done any long distances. And so he actually, and this is, you know, a tribute to my dad. He actually went and drove the uh, the first half of the marathon with me. It was up in the canyons. And he marked everything out by the mile uh, through the car and encouraged me along the way and paced me and everything. And so, hmm. you know, I had a time for the first half of the marathon, what I should ki- what I should hit. So I had not even run a half marathon before I ran Interesting. the marathon. And the problem was, is the next week when I actually ran the marathon, uh, I ran the first um, the first 14 miles faster than I had run the first, you know, the, the training yeah. 13. And I realized oh I gosh. was going too fast. I had not paced yeah. myself. And uh, by a mile 16, I hit the wall. Yeah. And so for the last 10 miles, it was just sheer sheer pain. And uh, You did it. You persevered. Yeah. Well, I had a good friend tell me that if you could run a marathon, you could do anything in your life. Because then you have that self-control to, huh. uh, to have that perseverance that you need. Interesting. You talked about that three times uh, in in your response to me. I asked you what makes you good at what you do. You said persistence. Oh, and I uh, talked about any of your some of your physical like talents. You said I never give up. Yeah, well, that's kind of going. I'm along. an unfinished story. <laughs> I'm still working. I'm still, you know, striving for uh, you know hitting that grand slam out of the out of the park. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, along with all of us, I think. Uh, what makes you what gives you that? I mean, that's not just inborn. I mean, you no, have to no, earn that it's and grow not. it. You yeah. know, again, I would go back to that story when I was eight, uh-huh. and I had that experience where I felt like I needed to earn my worth and my value. Huh. That has fueled me. I mean, I had just such shame throughout my life that I wanted to be somebody. I wanted my life to matter. I uh-huh. wanted to, you know, be significant. Uh-huh. And uh, and it wasn't until, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, it wasn't until last year that I had a friend point out to me, and I, you know, I kind of had this awakening as I realized what my life really has been about. And now that no longer fuels me in a desperation way. Huh. But now huh. I understand my purpose is to help other people find their purpose and fulfill their purpose. Huh. And as I've been doing this, as I've been helping people understand happiness as a skill, as I've been helping them, you know, learn about these different things that can just bring so much joy into their life and so much peace and satisfaction, that gives me great satisfaction. And so I hmm. feel like I've got my purpose. Hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, the, the never give up just means that, you know, I feel like I have so much to share now uh-huh. that uh, I'm excited to Interesting. do Interesting. So uh, even though you you say that the foundational reason for doing a lot of this could have been improved upon, uh, I would like to talk for a moment about these awards that I'm seeing behind me. Uh, there's about 16 
medals up there, awards. Uh, and I'm you forgive my ignorance in the filmmaking world. Tell me a little bit about what, where those came about. <laughs> Some of you. Uh, well, Kendall's in my office, my home office, and I have a, a bookshelf, and I've got Aurora Awards and Telly Awards and a bunch of Glass Awards and other things. Anyway, I've been very fortunate to have done quite well with my craft in, in filmmaking and uh, in commercials. And what these are is it's a, they're achievement awards for quality. And okay. again, you know, <laughs> for so long in my life, I felt this desperation to matter and to have my sure. life make a difference. And I felt like it, it needed to be the quality of my work. So, uh-huh. you know, I listened to people. I had great mentors who would, who would talk and I'd pay attention. And they gave me different um, bits of advice on how I could be better. And so, uh-huh. you know, just throughout my life, I have felt this drive really to be the best at what i could do and uh-huh. and yeah. it's been very satisfying certainly not yeah no i mean that's praiseworthy the aurora awards who awards that uh it's actually a firm out of salt lake and okay. uh it's a national it's uh-huh. a na- actually international i'm a judge for them now and oh, okay in fact i was talking to the president of the aurora awards this morning uh on a phone call huh. um but yeah they they do wonderful things. I love their statues they're they're gorgeous and this is for the um for television for for what, what commercial for? yeah commercial. commercial work okay um, yeah and and achievement and quality and uh-huh. and uh so yeah i'm on there I'm on there uh judging I'm assuming they have a yearly award ceremony, yes, like any other yeah uh industry. Interesting. Yeah, and only the best of the best to get in, and they have different levels. And so you see a lot of silver ones. Sure, or, yeah. You know, uh-huh. platinum. Uh-huh. And that's actually the best one. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's a little different than, than gold. Than but, the Oscars. Or, yeah, yeah, but anyway, you know, as as you look at the that's how I <laughs> that's sure. how I was, like, looking at my value. Sure. These mean that I'm important or that I'm valuable. But inside I was empty because I was frustrated because it really wasn't satisfying me. Sure. So wherever, you know, whoever's listening, wherever you are in life, just oh, just learn really quick that uh, that you you find your happiness, you find your joy, you find your peace by looking within and not outside. And, uh, you know, yeah. all these really pretty awards are really just – Wasted time and frustration and energy looking in the wrong places. Huh. That's interesting. I I wonder about that, you know? That uh you know, seems like you've you honed a craft to help you do what you're doing now, which yeah. is which is uh, perhaps those helped you along. I mean I can't oh, think totally. that they're just a waste. Oh they're they're not yeah. a waste. They're yeah. not a waste, but um but I had put so much of my focus outside of myself that sure. something external was gonna satisfy me. Sure. And okay. now that I understand and you know, now that I have such clarity on my life and my journey, uh-huh. I look back and I'm so grateful for that eight year old experience. I'm so uh-huh. grateful for getting let go from ad agencies. I'm so uh-huh. grateful for all the trials and problems that I had throughout my life because it made me who I am and it gave me the talents that I have now to where I can share the things that I've learned in story form and in ways that will stick with people and uh-huh. uh, and hopefully you know make a difference and really help them have the tools that they need to transform their lives. Uh-huh. I, mean, I, I have a company called Encourage.life. It's the letter N, the word Courage.life, but it's to help other people understand. You know, really to look within for happiness, really, you know, to take the key to their own happiness and put it in their own hands and uh, to help them wake up and and have some of those tools. So now, you know, I use storytelling in order to help people see these things and uh, Uh and look inside their lives. And, Uh you know, some can be funny. And, you know, anyway, so I I love that uh, through the process of my life, I've been able to learn some things that have have uh, really empowered me to help others now. Uh-huh. And the book, um, The Seven Core Habits, yeah, right? Well, it's called S- The Seven, seven core, core Skills. Skills. skills not, yeah, of Everyday <laughs> Happiness. Yeah, The Seven Core Skills of Everyday Happiness. Um, w- was this what you were referring to when you said that you have been a best-selling author? It's, um, mm-hmm. People have, there's been a need for it. People have shown an interest in it. Yeah, yeah, and that's been really cool. And it's it's... You know, I love hearing from people who have read it and uh, felt like it has changed them. I had a, in fact, there's a, a psychologist uh-huh. friend of mine. Yeah. Um, really interesting story on him. You know, he's gone to school for this. He teaches this, and he learned about positive psychology 
um, I guess about eight years ago now. And when he learned about it, he stopped practicing. And now he just uses positive psychology to basically coach people to help themselves out of their problems. And uh, anyway, when I wrote the book and presented it to him, (laughs) he was blown away and he said, this is a game changer. If somebody can look at happiness as a skill, suddenly that means there's something that they can do about it. You know, you don't walk around going, man, I really wish I could, you know, I, I wish I could find uh, the ability to play the piano. Or, sure, you know. sure. Hope it just descends upon you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, if you look at it as a skill, oh, well, then there's something you could do. There's practicing and there's mm-hmm. techniques. And, and anyway, if you take a skills-based approach to happiness, it will completely change your life. What changes is that you can self-spark that feeling. Okay. And you feel like you have more control. I, I think if you're not happy every single day, not that that means that you're happy every single moment. Sure. But if you're not doing something to take care of yourself, to take care of your mindset, to uh, to practice gratitude, uh-huh. to lift and serve others, to feel a connection to them, to feel a sense of awe, you know, here in the universe. If you're not doing something actively to do that, you're doing yourself a disservice because, you know, I mean, that's really what it's all about. That's what we think happens at the end. Uh-huh. You know, we always tell uh-huh. ourselves, oh, I'll be happy when I get married. Uh-huh. Oh, I'll be happy when I have kids. Oh, I'll be happy when these kids are out of diapers. Oh, I'll be happy when, you know, uh-huh. you know they're sure. they're finally walking and, and all these things. And, and eventually you're happy when they leave the house and I'm going to be happy when I retire. And we never are actually happy with that kind of mindset. So, you know, I just want to wake people up and let them, you know, let them see how simple it is with consistency, with a routine uh-huh. and uh, and different techniques that you can be happy, get happy every single day. And uh, and really just enjoy life, enjoy the journey the whole time. Not as you know, not as elusive as as it might seem. Yeah. Well, and especially if you're if you're looking for happiness um, in places that aren't going to produce that, like you know you're planting pumpkin seeds and you're wondering why you're getting corn or you know. So are you are you promoting? Uh, is it? Uh, it's 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 more than seeing life with rose colored glasses. Oh yeah, right? it's not yeah. fooling yourself. Yeah, it's because waking up. it's not jumping or you know, skipping down the street all day every hour. But how how does this the positive psychology that you're promoting? How does that face major life challenges? Death of a loved one, um, loss of a job, um, mental illness. How does that? What's the approach? Yeah, absolutely. It really is about clarity. It's about waking up and being very conscious of things. It's about not having the victim mindset. I slip into victim mindset all the time, and I have to catch myself really quick uh-huh. because I can slide down that slippery slope. But if you, you know, Tony Robbins says this a lot. He says that life happens for you, not to you. But a lot of times, you know, we get in that victim mindset, mind, you know, mindset, uh-huh. and, and it, you know, we can just really start slipping down the wrong road when uh, when a lot of times when you look back, you know, maybe you've had this terrible thing happen to you. You know, I've told you about some of my, my job losses and things. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, maybe you've had a relationship go bad. Maybe you had a divorce or something like that. And then years go by and you look back and you go, wow, that was really a fortunate thing. You know, I didn't think it at the time, but as I look back now, this and this and this happened that wouldn't have happened uh-huh. had that unfortunate thing not happened. So really, it's about getting that clarity that you need to be able to see things in kind of the bigger picture and to, you know, and to feel connected to your higher power uh, uh-huh. so that, you know, life has a purpose, life has a meaning. A little, a little closer to the events instead of maybe 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, and and not, you know, and it's clarity every day. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's just like course correction with an airplane. You know, I mean, uh-huh. they they take off, but they are course correcting all the time. You know, do we do that with our lives or are we on autopilot all the time? Uh-huh. You know, we just do things out of a routine or out of habit, and we don't really take a look around and, and reconnect and, uh, and recalibrate the way that we should. Hmm. All right, I want to go back. Can you take me back to uh, an experience you had on the um, on the West Coast, on the beach? Yeah. And there was an experience related to that in middle school or something uh, that related to that. Can we talk about that a little bit? 
yeah, yeah. What, what that meant to you and why why it was I mean obviously so memorable but um tell us about that experience uh and I wrote about this experience in my book um and I learned a a, a bunch of lessons in retrospect from this experience but, thanks for uh, the plug <laughs> the name of the podcast in retrospect in retrospect thank you really i mean that's that's really what helps you you know find purpose and meaning uh-huh. yeah i mean it's it's in the stories stories uh-huh. give us a framework for living and it's in retrospect that we really understand that so mm. yeah so what happened to me uh this uh, anyway it was <laughs> i don't remember how many years ago it was i had uh i had all four kids at that time, but my oldest was maybe, maybe eight years old, uh-huh. uh, maybe ten, and we were visiting with uh, with our uh, some extended family up in Lincoln City, uh, Oregon, and uh, we were at the Lincoln City Beach, uh-huh. and it was a cold day. It was the day after uh, the Fourth of July, so July fifth, uh-huh. and up in Oregon, you know, it's not San Diego beach weather. Sure, sunny, and it balmy. was cold, and I didn't want to be out there. You know, and I was worried about getting wet. I didn't, I didn't want to get uh-huh. cold. But you know, the fascination with the beach when you're living in the Rocky Mountains is a little too great for the kids. Uh-huh. So of course they're running in and they're playing that game of how you know how you know can I chase the wave and have it chase me and can I get away without getting wet? And of course they're going to get wet. Yeah, they're getting know. soaked. Um, but I, did, I had this kind of foreboding feeling, and so I, I just kept watching and and uh, trying to pay attention to them. I, and I didn't know why I had this worrisome feeling, uh, but I got distracted, and uh, and then I heard a scream. And I remember looking out at the at the ocean, you know, as it was crashing, and I could see um, two of of the kids, my daughter and her. Uh, her uh, cousin that was about her age, uh-huh. floating out, and they were way caught into the big churn of the waves. And these were some pretty good-sized waves that hmm. were coming. You, well, you were familiar with riptides growing up in not, San Jose? I was or? not at all. No. Yeah, I'm, you know, again, I'm not a swimmer, and uh-huh. I'm from the Rocky Mountains. And <clears throat> yeah. So I threw my coat and my wallet and and uh, and ran and jumped into the water and and called for help too before I did that I, I disregarded about all the scout training that I had ever received, uh-huh. um, but as I did that uh, I started swimming out, and uh, and I realized that I had to make a choice and uh, and it was I had to I had you know who am I going to help, and my daughter was the furthest one out there, and uh, but the immediate one was her 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 cousin. Uh-huh. And so I quickly swam to her, and I thought, if I can just get her really quick, I can get her into shore, and then I can be out there and help my daughter. And uh, and I grabbed, um, you know, my my niece, and and got to her, and we started getting into the churn, and we were being huh. thrown upside down and huh. all around, and and I mean, it was just this amazing. I've never felt something so powerful as the ocean waves that were churning us. Helpless, there. totally helpless. Totally helpless. Well, I was able to finally get her in and and push her into where she could stand up and she could run in. And by this time, her mom had joined us and run out uh, trying to swim to, to help her daughter, and she had gotten caught in the churn. And so I, I come, I you know, I'm exhausted, and I'm running back in, Um to go for your daughter. Well, I want to go for my daughter, yeah. but before her is her aunt. Huh. And uh, and her aunt is the closest one in there. And so I swim to her, and she is losing it. I mean, she's being tossed around, and you see her for a second, and then you don't. And, you know, it's just this churn of waves. And anyway, I finally get to her, and I am in the churn, and I can't believe how quickly I could give up hope. Um, but I remember having this thought uh, cross through my head that said, wow, uh, this is really going to mess up Fourth of July forever for this wow. family. Because wow. I, you know, yeah. all, all three yeah. of us were going to die, and I was so convinced of it. And so here I am. I've got my, um, my sister-in-law. With each wave that I can get a little bit of breath, I will push her. And just I'm just trying to push her in towards the shore. Yeah. And I'm just giving everything that I can to it. And, uh, and, and just, I've lost it. I, I, you know, I've kind of, this is, (laughs) this is about the end of us. And right when I thought that I see my daughter standing 
on the shore, not too far away from us, just down the coast. You know, just down, Uh uh, I mean, just really not too far away. And she's beckoning us to come. And I'm like, what is going on? So I grab my sister-in-law and I, you know, with each wave that comes by, I push her, you know, down the coast towards my daughter. And it doesn't take us too long before we hit this sandbar and are able to stand up like my daughter. Well, what was amazing was that uh, I'd never heard about rip currents, didn't know what they were. And what happens with rip currents is they shoot out straight out from the shore and they go faster than Olymp- than an Oli- an Olympic swimmer. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and what happens to people the way they die is that they swim straight on into shore and they fight the wave, they fight the current the whole time, and they get exhausted and they drown. And the way that you get out of these, interestingly enough, is to go down the coast. I've been I've been caught in these before. Yeah. Yeah. And so what had happened was my daughter had kind of given up like we did. And she wasn't a strong swimmer. And so what she did was she she flipped over on her back and she went with the only swimming stroke that she knew very well. And that was the backstroke and started doing the backstroke. And as she did that, and who does the backstroke in the middle of churning waves? You know? Life or death situation, right? Yeah, but she got turned around. And so she was no longer swimming into shore. She was swimming sideways, you know, side, you know uh, parallel to yeah. the shore. Yeah. And, uh, and she ended up saving all of us. Because she did that, but uh, huh. so anyway, just a few of the lessons that I learned from that, and then I will share my middle school experience. Sure, sure. It frustrated me, but um, but one of the lessons was this is what I experienced in my dissatisfaction with my life and my struggle to find happiness. It mm. was like mm-hmm. the harder I worked, the more frustrated I became, the mm. more angry I became, the more I lashed out at others. And and it was just, you know, and I thought I thought I needed to make more money. I thought I needed to have a greater impact with the films. I needed, you know, bigger awards or something. You know, uh, I couldn't figure out. And uh, the harder I worked, the more exhausted I became, the more frustrated. And yet the funny thing is, is if in our lives we will take time and we will pause and we will, you know, write in a gratitude journal or we will do things to lift and serve others or we will do things that connect us in our relationships. And when we do stuff like that, it's a totally different pace than, than the, you know, the, the fury, that, sure. you know, of, of survival. And yet that is the way to get out of the trouble huh. in our lives. Interesting. And so anyway, that's a lesson that I learned and I shared in my yeah. book. Swimming in a different direction. Yeah. Interesting. But the experience that I had um, when I was in middle school was my middle school teacher had us run through a scenario that said, okay, you are a swimmer and you have two people to save. Who do you save? You know, and it was one of those just horrible things, yeah, you know. Your like, mom or your little brother or yeah, something. Yeah, and, you know, in my mind, I always said, I'm going to save both of them. And it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. And then here I was caught in the same, exact same situation. And the one that I would have chosen, you know, would have been my daughter. Sure. And if she had died and, you know, here I was picking, you know, other family members before her. Sure. That hurt me when I thought about that. But also, uh, you know, a thing that came out of it was realizing how helpless I really am in my ability to help uh, my family members and others and how dependent I am on God. And, and it really actually ticked me off. <laughs> um, but that was one of those journey moments that really helped huh. me reconnect huh. with God and huh. to recognize that he huh. uh, has his hand in all things in our lives and to, uh, huh. and to be accepting of that and willing to uh, huh. go with the flow. You know what I get out of that? A learning point that I, that, that I uh, drew from that also was, uh, just like in your your philosophy that you're promoting, this positive psychology, um, taking just a few minutes a day or, you know, just to kind of get a different paradigm on life, uh, when you are caught in a rip current, it took it takes less energy to just swim out of it. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being in San Diego being caught in one of those, yeah. and I had never heard of it. And the lifeguard, you know, 100 yards away is blowing his whistle, pointing for me to go sideways, go sideways. And I was, I was getting to the give up point also. I was like, at first I was laughing, ha, this is funny. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my gosh. And it doesn't make sense to go sideways. It no. just seems like it's yeah. the wrong way. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that just goes right along with everything you've been saying, which is it, 
it seems to take uh, a different effort, but kind of less effort. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You just have to start with that clarity. Uh-huh. You have to understand really how the game's played. And then there are simple things that you can do. The thing that I am so excited about right now that I'm working on uh, bringing to life are you know, morning routine habits, helping people have a consistent morning routine where they set an intention, where they look at what fortunate things are going on in their lives, where they have kind of a way to round up the day at the end. Um, But it's simple practices like that that will bring you back into that clarity that you need so that you're no longer tossed around with the waves. Or if you do get that, you know how to get out of it. Right, right. I think all of us are going to have waves. Oh, totally. Yeah. Daily, maybe. Uh, what are you seeing as the? Um, what are you hoping for uh, for the future of your in your in your career? You've already alluded to you keep doing what you're doing, basically, and influencing more people. Yeah, really, it's about you know now that I've learned so much, I, I just want to share it with others and empower them with the tools and the skills uh, to be able to live their fullest. And and ultimately, what I would absolutely love if I had my ultimate dream is that. If I could empower other people to discover their purpose and to have the encouragement to live their purpose, suddenly it's like this ripple effect where we can impact so many more people. If everyone listening to us right now, you know, were to say, hey, I'm going to take some time and I'm going to reflect and I'm going to do some things, find out who I am, what my identity is, what what I'm here for, what I can do. And then if they start to live that. Mm-hmm. Everyone's making a difference. Everyone's doing podcasts, you know, uh-huh. or, you know, whatever sure. it is that they could do like you to make a difference in the world. Huh. Interesting. And this, this is not really bound by any particular belief, religion, or background, right? No, no. Everyone, I believe everyone has a purpose. And I think everyone believes that inside too. Mm-hmm. You know, we watch these movies mm-hmm. and, and, this happens to me all the time. I'll be watching a movie and my the hair on my back, the back of my neck will just stand up when somebody says, I felt I had this inside of me, but I didn't know what to do about it. Because uh-huh. that just seems to resonate with me in the things that I uh-huh. felt. Uh-huh. And I think it's a common feeling that inside I've known it was always there, but mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. And there's this self-discovery that happens. Interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, we didn't really talk about a lot of things, but... Uh, Man, we talked about a lot of we cool. We talked about a lot of things, didn't oh, we? A lot, lot yeah, of great I've, stuff. I sure yeah. enjoyed this. Me too. Um, any other things you'd like to say before we wrap up here? Uh, you know, I think we've shared it. Uh, I'm just, I'm so thankful for the things that I've learned. Uh, as I look back on my life, I am not regretful of the experiences that I've had or the choices that I've made. They've made me who I am. But I am sure determined to make the choices I make today create the kind of future that I want to have for me and my family. And so I'm more conscious of that. And I hope that anyone listening today, you know, if they are caught in the waves, if they're caught in the churn, if they're going through hard times, if they've just been let go or, you know, having a bad relationship or something, if they understand that there are things that they can do right now to have a sense of control, not that they can control the whole situation, but sure. they can control their reaction to okay. it, uh-huh. then suddenly, you know, they are much more powerful than they, than they ever thought they could be. Hmm. Well, you said that your, your favorite, uh, I don't know if this is your favorite, but at least one of them, your favorite books is Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl. Yeah. And isn't, that was the takeaway message I got from that book. Yeah. When I read that in college was, holy moly, everything taken away, everything profession, you know, every single possible thing taken away, clothes, uh, dignity, everything. But there's this line in there. I wish I could remember it, but he, he says the one thing that they could not take was, uh, uh, yeah, it was kind of their ability to choose, um, how their reaction to it. Yeah. And here he is in a concentration camp. Uh, interesting, huh? Yeah. And he, he writes about so many people who survived, 
You know, you talked about the people who gave up and what it looked like when they were giving up. Uh-huh. But the people who survived were generally the ones who had something to live for, whether it was another person or like him. He felt like he had this work that he needed to publish that uh-huh. had been torn up by the Nazis, uh-huh. you know, his dissertation. And he needed to be able to present that. And he could kind of see in his mind him presenting in front of, in front of leather-bound chairs, people sitting in leather-bound chairs, uh-huh. you know, is this this purpose. And so if people can look for and discover inside what their purpose is and they have that inner why and and really there are simple steps that can take them to discover Mm -hmm. that uh then suddenly they have the fuel to make it through every day when every day gets challenging Uh beautifully said thank you scott i appreciate you taking the time thank you thanks kendall this is fun yeah thank you so much for letting me come here to the heber city studios well that wraps up our 10th episode Uh, with Scott Wilhite. Thanks a lot, Scott, for joining us, for sharing your hard-earned knowledge and experience that you've gained and that has helped you out. And uh, thanks for the good work you're doing. You can uh, learn more about Scott on the show links that I'll put on the blog. And uh, I want to thank each one of you for taking the time to listen. You can find out more about the podcast by searching inretrospectpodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks again for each one of you for taking your time to listen and participating. If this did anything positive for you, it only takes a moment to share it with someone you think might enjoy it also, might be lifted up by it. Thanks again, and until next time, this is Kendall Thurman. May light and peace ever grow in your life. May your socks be dry and unholy, and may all your cinnamon rolls be slightly overdone. Take care.